Bright Wall Podcast, Season 1, Episode 2. The following episode is made possible by viewers like you. If you like what you hear, go to patreon.com slash empty square and become a backer for as little as one dollar. Inside Danny's house looked like it had been taken over by the Amazon rainforest. Vines cascaded around the walls, through the furniture. Small trees or bushes sprouted out from the carpeted ground. Every step felt like stepping in dirt. I tried to walk a little further, but every step took an insane amount of effort. I lost my balance halfway through the living room. I tried to catch myself on the arm of the couch, but the second any pressure was applied to it, it crumbled into dirt. Now lying on my shoulder, I noticed another new sensation. I was sinking. I thought I was just settling into the mud ground after the impact of hitting it, but I kept going, slowly inching deeper and deeper into the floor itself, like quicksand in some sort of Indiana Jones movie. Now, I'm not too proud to say that I floundered around like an absolute spastic trying to grab something to pull myself out, but every solid thing I grabbed gave way into more dirt. I'd love to say I developed a way to escape this predicament using my intelligence and wherewithal, like I created a lasso or something out of the stuff I found and just pulled myself to safety, but I'm pretty sure it was in between bouts of thrashing and crying that I remembered an old episode of Popular Mechanics for Kids, a Canadian children's show that once explained, in order to escape this kind of thing, you have to calm down and move slowly, as it's a non-Newtonian fluid. Eventually pulling myself up and out the front door, spilling out into the front lawn, I took a double take back into the outside of the house. It all seemed so normal. Surely I thought you'd notice something going on on the outside. I walked around the house itself, dusting myself off. Up through the driveway and into the modest backyard, I didn't even see a neighbor out mowing their lawn. But the most interesting, well, not exactly interesting, terrifying thing, I found is what happened when I looked through the window, into the house itself. It looked normal. Not a vine, not a tree. The furniture that I was very certain I had turned into dirt was still there. The windows weren't even steamed up from the humidity inside. Now, I've been doing research on Brightwall for a couple of months before I left to do this investigation, so I had heard all about these crazy things that went down here. You know, werewolves and tidal waves and zombies and an evil Santa Claus that ruined the one Thanksgiving parade they had. And I thought I was ready to experience such a thing, you know? I figured I could probably just kick a Frankenstein monster in its neck bolts and run like hell if I ever had to, come back with a story and be labeled a hero, but it's different to actually experience it for yourself. You know, the first time in your entire life you can't trust your own senses. That your own brain may not be on your side anymore. I went back around to the front door, mostly because I had been there before, and if the front was quicksand, I didn't want to learn what the back door could possibly be. The interior of Danny's house, looking immaculate from the inside, drops an ice cube down my soul. See, for as much as we talked about the supernatural goings-on inside Brightwall, I was truly hoping it was some sort of easily explainable problem. Like a kidnapping or run-of-the-mill psychotic break. But seeing this kind of thing up close and personal taught me something that I was not ready to know about myself. Something really kind of deep and personal. And that's, I'm not ready to take on this kind of investigation. You know, the cool guy who stares death in the face and laughed? That's some other guy with a microphone, because in between wanting to cry and vomit, the only thing I wanted to do was run. For some reason, and, and to this moment I can't tell you why, 
I decided to stay and attempt to wade myself back in. Some would call it having the gumption to see a job done right. Some would call it a dumbass mistake made by a dumb ass. I wouldn't call either of them wrong, per se. Now being more, I don't know, prepared, I guess, for the inside, I took a deep breath at the front door and I opened it wide again. It was still Jungle Town. That much hadn't changed. But what did catch my eye was the chair and the end table, as those were two of the things I grabbed for I was sinking the first time. The two things that I saw turned to dust in my hand. Whatever this kind of dirt was, it could reformulate itself into whatever it wanted to. Why it chose a tacky armchair from the 70s is not for me to decide. Slowly, like acclimating yourself to an ice-cold pool, I took a step inside. Sinking about a foot into the shag carpeting. The... floor... sand? Mud? Sinky floor? Sinky floor. Whatever it was held my weight for at least a couple of seconds. I used that time to take a couple more steps forward. The humidity was so bad it's like trying to breathe milk. The shock of the situation subsided and I began to look for something that stood out. Well, stood out in a different way. The walls were adorned with pictures of what I assumed to be Danny and his various friends and family. This gave me my first real look at the guy. Tall, skinny Jewish kid with enough wavy black hair to make every bald man in a 10-kilometer radius froth with rage. He seemed happy and affable in all the pictures. One of those really photogenic kids that can't ever take a bad picture. I wanted to be annoyed by it, but, I mean, look at this face. You can't hate this dude. I made my way slowly to the right, down a far too skinny hallway, which led to three bedrooms and a bathroom at the very end. The house was quite big for a single person, which made me wonder if he didn't inherit it from family. I took a stab and entered the first room. The first thing I noticed was I actually had to take a step up because the ground was solid. Actual, honest-to-God, solid ground inside this weird death house. I couldn't be happier. It seemed to be a bedroom, relatively untouched by the encroaching madness on the outside. No bed but a closet, empty except for what seemed to be an old Halloween costume of Yoshi from the Mario series and a receipt from a blockbuster. There was also a dresser with about five drawers in it. Now, I didn't want to cross any ethical barriers in this investigation, but I figured if I didn't break anything, it was probably going to be okay. I made a mental note to fix anything I broke and apologized to him for rifling through his stuff. If we ever found him alive. Inside, we found mostly normal things. I didn't really know what to expect. Maybe some sort of ancient amulet that caused the encroaching apocalypse that would explain this whole issue. But mostly, we found socks. A lot of work uniforms. I guess he wasn't about doing laundry on a daily basis. Coming out of the bedroom and back into the quicksand hallway, it became easier and easier to move around, probably just because I was used to it by now. I entered the other room, only a couple feet beside us. I expected a similar look to the other room, but what I found was not that. This room also used to be a bedroom. I could actually see the bed this time. I could see the dressers and the pillows and the blankets. What I could also see was a hive of some sort. Long dead and dried away, there was a gaping hole in the middle of the floor, which no longer even kind of looked like a carpet. It was just a straight dirt floor. The walls were grayed away and caked with dirt and mud. It felt like being inside a cave of some sort or a dead beehive. The dirt itself was very dry, a complete 180 from the humidity just outside the door. This house climate was literally impossible. There's no way one room was that humid and soaking wet. While this room was so dry, I could feel a nosebleed coming on. Slowly, I made my way to the hole in the middle of the floor, taking careful steps to avoid the floor giving way completely. I got down on my hands and knees and tried to look down to see how deep this thing actually goes. It was far too dark to really make anything out. 
I grabbed my phone and tried to use it as a flashlight, but even that wasn't strong enough to really do much. This room must have been big. Really big. Bigger than the bedroom, bigger maybe even then than the house itself. I gave myself a moment to breathe and collect myself. Mostly because the stress of the day was starting to get to me. Mostly because I had already convinced myself. I was going to have to go down there, wasn't I? I know. I know. It's stupid. It was a stupid idea. But by virtue of me telling you this story, you know I must have turned out okay, right? I must have made it out. So maybe cut me some slack. Because not only did I go down the stupid hole that I had no idea how deep it was, I also went in without any supplies whatsoever. I also didn't know how I was going to get back. So you can send all your constructive criticism to us on Twitter, at BrightWallPod, and we'll, we'll try to get to it all. Luckily for me, it was only probably about 8 or 9 feet deep. You know the feeling when you go downstairs and miss a step? That was the feeling I had the entire time I was down there. Turning my flashlight on once again gave me a dim view of the ground itself. It definitely felt more solid, which at this point I'll take all the positives I can get. My first idea was to walk until I found a wall of some sort. And I walked for a while. A disconcerting while. Every couple of steps I looked back just to make sure the opening was still there. Just to make myself feel better, I suppose. Eventually I bumped into an edge I could follow, running my hand on the wall to keep myself upright. While the ground was solid and fairly even, for some reason I had difficulty keeping myself standing upright, stumbling around in the dark and worrying if I'm going to headbutt a low-hanging stalactite. After about a half an hour of just kind of walking straight, I sat down and took a break. My clothes were already filthy at this point, so what did I have to lose? The humidity had definitely lessened since I'd been down here, which was a nice bonus from the hell world that was inside Danny's house. It had taken a lot of energy out of me, just kind of walking around inside that kind of heat. If I had not been worried about the imminent death around every corner, I totally could have napped right then and there. I couldn't believe how hard it was to stay upright. But then I noticed something. It wasn't because of me or how tired I was. The ground was just sort of uneven. But it felt as though it was changing right from under my feet. The ground was moving, and now that I was thinking about it, the walls were too. A rhythmic, pulsating, very shallow, almost imperceptible but it was definitely moving. No, uh, moving wasn't the right word. It was more like it was breathing in and out very slowly. The entire cave or hive or whatever I was in was breathing. This cave was alive. Oh, I ran. I stood up, Scrambled to my feet, and I ran. Dear God, did I run. I didn't even know where to. I had no frame of reference. Any thought I had about tripping and falling over and breaking something, or whatever it was, didn't matter. I had to get out of whatever this was. I had no idea how long it was, but it felt like hours before I found anything different. The ceiling started to slope downwards, and the floor started to slope upwards. What was once about eight feet of clearance became difficult to stand up straight. Whatever this was was turning into a crawl space real fast. I could see off in the distance a little bit, a tiny pinprick of light coming from the roof. A different exit. I had no idea where I was headed, but I had to go through it. I started to dig, claw my way at the opening in the ceiling to make the hole wider. I could see sunlight and feel fresh air for the first time in forever. Once the hole was big enough, I hauled myself out of it into the open air, and I stayed there lying down for a couple of minutes to get my bearings back and to calm down. Wiping the dirt and sweat and whatever else was down there out of my eyes, I wanted to get a good look at where I ended up. 
I thought maybe I was in the outskirts of the town, someplace far off, or maybe just plunked down in the middle of a forest or something. But I was in the parking lot, outside the coffee shop where Danny was taken. Now, it doesn't take a genius to put two and two together here. The big bad creatures that attacked us on the day of Danny's disappearance? It was mud men. Sentient globs of dirt and clay and mud that scour the earth wanting nothing to do but to break and destroy whatever is in their path. This also puts the timeline of the attacks somewhere in the late spring or early summer when the weather is most permitting. Probably in April, I would guess, although who knows which year. I finally got to my feet and walked back to the hotel room. I still couldn't place why these mud men even existed at all. The tunnel from Danny's house to the parking lot explained a little bit. They probably kidnapped him and used his place as some sort of a base of operations. Although what mud men need with a base of operations is beyond me. I guess everyone's got to live somewhere, right? But was Danny important to them in any way? And why take somebody at all? This was one of those disheartening discoveries where you figure out an answer to a question, but then like 18 other questions pop up. But I still felt accomplished in figuring something out at least. Worst case scenario, I could tell somebody who asked some sort of new information. By the time I'd made it back to the hotel, the sun was getting pretty low. I had never been out in Brightwall at night, and given the amount of crazy stuff I had seen during the broad daylight, I didn't really want to stick around and find out what the nightlife was all about. I noticed someone standing in front of my door as I came up the laneway. A disheveled woman, either age 65 or a meth addict of 35. Her stringy gray hair and wild-eyed stare worried me some. This, as I would come to know later, was grass-stained Gertie. A local woman of indiscriminate origin who, if I had to make the comparison to, looked almost exactly like the crazy cat lady from The Simpsons. However, she also had deep grass stains and other abrasions on her knees. I could make a comment on it, but I really didn't want to. I'm here to research, not to slut shame. I tried to ask her what she was doing without letting her know that I was the one who lived here. I surreptitiously turned the microphone on to record what was about to happen. If it wasn't informative, it might as well be entertaining. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. Can I help you? Have you come to eat my grass? She yelled like somebody had replaced her voice box with a used ashtray. Not if that's a bad thing. I'm looking for micro, man. She hollered again. Now, this could have meant a lot of things. Up to and including tiny gnomes she saw running around after a particularly long night. Uh, okay, do you, do you mean like little people? Because that wouldn't even be the weirdest thing I've seen today, let alone ever. No way, hon. Gertie don't do nothing little. I'm looking for the pod boy, the one that's been asking all the questions which don't need to be asked. Oh, man. I thought. She was here for me. I mean, deep down inside, I knew it. But now I gotta deal with it. This was gonna be a whole fucking thing. Okay. You're, you're looking for me, then. Uh, can I help you with anything? Preferably something that takes under ten minutes to complete without me having to leave this spot. Well, hun. She said, her breath so violently bad it gave me an existential crisis just standing here, making me question my entire life. That depends. You want the normal answer, the funny answer, or the kinky answer. Normal? I said, knowing full well this was no longer in my hands. Ah, uh, that's a shame, kiddo, cause you're getting all three. She said, her beady eyes flashing with something that looked either like recognition or indigestion. It was increasingly hard to tell. I bit the bullet and quickly let her inside the house. She scanned the environment quickly, and I made a mental note to check for any stolen items the moment she left. Uh, can I offer you some water? Diet Coke? Apple juice? Narcan? 
Nothing like that, hon. I'm here to answer all your questions. I had never doubted anything more in my entire life. Uh, okay. I suppose. What do you know? Well, where do you want me to start? At the beginning, I guess? Ah, of course. See, it all started in 2013 when Kennedy was assassinated. I don't... I'm pretty sure that wasn't... Not right. the Kennedy you know, hon. I'm talking George Franklin Kennedy, the 13th, the 31st mayor of Bratwell. See, everybody loved Kennedy. He was like an angel, down to mayor stuff. Wings and everything. It's true. Look it up. Oh, okay. Is there like a library? Oh, you don't have to look it up. I just told you. Anyway, Kennedy was like everybody's favorite uncle. He was kind to pigeons, gave kids bread or something, stopped the duck punting epidemic of 2009. Guy was a saint, but for some reason the big guys didn't love him. What, okay, what, what do you mean by big guys? Like you ever... Okay, you know the first time you crossed the American-Mexican border with 10 kilos of cocaine and half a gram of LSD hitting up your butt? And you met those guys in the suits? For the sake of expediency, yes. We have all had that experience. Perfect! Next time you do it, tell Phil I say hi and peanut butter banana sandwiches. He'll know what I'm talking about. It ain't no sex. It's not hard to put together. Anywho, those fellas, the big mucky mucks in the suits, they came by all the time for some reason or another, talking to the mayor. Always seem to be pretty angry. Okay, not to doubt this information you're giving me, but how do you know all of this? Honey, Gertie knows all. Gertie sees all. It's in the grass. The grass stains of Gertie. She motions to her knees, as if that means something to me. Neat. Your daggone right, it's neat. So anyway, big soup boy keeps showing up, keeps getting turned away keeps getting madder and madder until one day they get too mad. I guess Candy slips and falls down a flight of stairs and breaks his neck in half. Never saw or heard from him again. New mayor comes in. Mayor Vaughn. Mayor Vaughn meets with the boys in suits. They leave happy. Then darkness begins. Oh, okay. That, um, that almost makes a coherent story. Uh, but why do you think it was an assassination? I mean, people fall down the stairs all the time. Earlier tonight, I fell into a giant hole in the floor of somebody's basement. Well, we didn't see his body, of course. That's always an issue. Probably because there was a hatchet embedded in his head. Plus, there was... Whoa, 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 whoa. A hatchet? Where did, where did the hatchet come from? The murderer, I assume. <sighs> No, I, I, I got that. I mean, what makes you think there was a hatchet at all if you never saw a body? Gertie sees all. It's in the stains. Okay. So building on this story, the mayor everyone loves got a hatchet to the face. In the back of his head! Oh, oh, excuse me. Yeah, I can't get that part wrong or else this story is ridiculous. A hatchet to the back of his head, killing him. The new mayor plays ball with the government and now monsters exist. There he goes! He finally gets it! Celebratory map hit? No, uh, no, thank you. So, the impression you're giving me is that the government is using the town as, like, what, a, a zoo? Nah, my Uncle Grass Dane Toby says it's more like a military thing. 
They're like training the monsters to use down there in Iraq. Who's who's Toby? My uncle. Ain't you listening? Does he see it all in the grass stands too? Nah, he got that nickname because he gives blowjobs and gets stains on his knees. I mean, he ain't gay, but five bucks is five bucks. Words to live by. Or die by, if you're like my aunt, grass-stained Bernadette. Charming, I suppose. I I guess the only other question I have is why come to me with this information? Like, any other news outlet would be, like, busting at the seams for this kind of news. You could sell the story to anybody and be rich. Well, a couple reasons. Mostly because the stains led me here. They said, Gertie, there's gonna be a guy coming. There's gonna be a guy showing up with a microphone. The stains said, and he's gonna want to know all the stuff going on. And you should tell him all about it. Gertie listens to the stains. Stains don't lie to Gertie. Did the, and I, I can't believe I'm about to ask this unironically, did the stains tell you what I'm supposed to do with this information? Like, is, is this little show going to be enough? Or Not up to me to decide, hon. The stains say you're the guy. So you're the guy. Gertie does what she's told. Do they, the stains, I guess, do they have any information on Danny? Who's that now? Daniel Ingram. He was a, a guy who got lost. She motions to her knees, the, the as if that means actually. something to me. I, I was wondering if the stains tell you if he's still alive? Danny Ingram, you're looking for my son? My god, you, you're related? <laughs> no, but you should have seen the look on your face. You're related? <laughs> oh, that never gets old. I tell jokes like that all the time. Remember last episode where I said something about this being the most uncomfortable conversation I had ever had in my entire life? I'd like to retract that statement and replace it with this one. Thank you very much. So, uh, <laughs> so you got nothing then. <laughs> oh, come on now, hon. I'm just pulling your leg. Of course I know Danny Ingram. He's an ambulance driver. We've met several times. Any idea what happened to him? You know, I never thought to ask. Why don't you and I make some stains together and see what happens, shall we? I, um... I'm uncomfortable with literally any answer I could possibly give to that question. Staring to my knees, boy! Forcibly being thrown to knee height by a homeless vagrant with a body odor so bad it could stun a horse was not how I thought today was going to end. But here I was, on my hands and knees, staring at a woman's scarred over and scabby knees, stained by grass and mud. I wasn't entirely sure what I should be looking for, but I figured if I stood up prematurely, she'd hit me again. So I looked, and honestly, you ever really look at your knees this closely before? Like, skin is kinda gross. And I know this is a bit of a biased selection given who I'm dealing with, but there's so many lines and whatnot crisscrossing along. Like, you know how many microscopic bugs are crawling around in those things? It's more than I care to count. We put like a lot of mileage into how important skin is in human life. Like, okay, so I was on my Facebook the other day looking at my friends list. And you know how many white people I know? It's like all of them. I know all of the white people. And the other thing, I have like so few black friends. And even like Asian or Puerto Rican or something like that. Like, I'm not racist or anything. 
Oh, God, that's a bad way to start a new sentence, isn't it? Nothing good ever happens after I'm not racist or anything. But in, in this case, I'm not racist. I'm just from a really small town where, like, diversity is fairly non-existent. Like, if we did a staging of the musical Hamilton, it would look just like the actual signing of the Declaration of Independence. White people in powdered wigs. I thought maybe I should expand my horizons a little bit when all this was said and done. Like, take a trip somewhere and try to make a few new friends. But then I thought, like, if I'm making friends specifically because of their skin color, isn't that also kind of racist? Like, I'm trying to be so anti-racist, I loop right back around to racistville. And that's when her niece spoke to me. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making this up as I go along. A tiny slit in her knee opened up and spoke words. Or at the very least, I understood words. The entire world around me seemed to slow down. Colors around me muted and swirled into one another, as if pointing my focus towards the voice. I felt suspended in time. Like if I raised my hands up in the air, I wouldn't fall over. Something spoke to me. And to it I listened. A low, gurgling, raspy voice called out. Keep looking. They do not want him found. It stopped speaking and everything went quiet. The world remained in its suspended state for a couple of moments as if to let me really absorb what it just told me. And then reality snapped back into place like somebody hit the play button. I wobbled a bit on my hands and knees, trying to get my balance back. I scrambled backwards from whatever it was, from whatever Gertie is. She looked down, seemingly oblivious to the terror on my face, and asked, See anything good in there? What? What? Just... First time talking to the students, huh? You know it is! Oh, keep your hair on! Unlike mine, everyone feels it differently. My first time was like someone took my brain out and put it through a soda machine. It was sticky for weeks. How, how, did, you, how did you do that? I don't do anything, kid. I just sit back and watch. Stains pick the message. Stains pick the recipient. I'm just the messenger. Gertie does as Gertie's told. And everything works out for Gertie. He's alive. Who's that now? Danny. The, the Stains say he's alive. Danny Ingram? You mean my son? You tried that one already and it worked really well the first time. Ah, my brain ain't like what it used to be. I feel like that was hours ago. Finally getting up and dusting myself off again, I realized that Gertie wasn't wrong. Looking to the outside of the sky that was once dusk turning into night, it was now night turning into dawn. Whatever that was, wherever it took me, we had jumped an entire night. Twelve hours at least. No wonder my knees and back hurt so much. Gertie didn't even seem to be aware of the jump at all. Still as vacantly happy as she was when we first met. It's been hours. How long does this thing usually take? Uh, different things for different people. Sometimes it's in an instant, sometimes it takes an hour or two. World records with my cousin, Grass Dane Lincoln. Took him 18 hours to get what the knees were telling him. Grinding the family orgy to a halt it did. At this point, I was so used to the woman that half of the things she said didn't even really phase me. I thanked her for her help and her information and tried to get her up and out of the room so I could process what just went down. As she left, she pulled out an entire peeled onion from her purse and bit into it like an apple. 
She offered it to me for a bite, but I politely turned it down. At least I hoped it was politely. I feared the look of utter disgust and horror on my face betrayed my true feelings. I was excited to once again be alone with my thoughts to process, but before Gertie left, she said something to me. Something I haven't been able to shake since it happened. She opened the door, took a step out, and said, Now, usually, when I spend the night in one of these hotels, it's a $250 price tag. But because I came to you, we'll call it $130, and I'll put it on your tab for next time, okay, honey? No, no, not that, the other thing. After we worked out the tab that I apparently now have, she got more immediately serious. More serious than I had ever seen her. Almost kind of worried, but with the same energy and voice, she turned to me and said, Whatever happens from here on out, it's not your fault. You hear me? It's not your fault. This concludes our broadcast day. Yeah, this is...